with the money that's coming in from just regular people like you and me, just putting $5 or $8, that changed that community in a huge way. So they are already planting and reinserting certain species that were not there. We're already seeing biodiversity come back. We're already seeing the children falling in love, back in love with the forest and seeing all the possibilities. And we're already seeing them produce their own food instead of buying food from a truck. And there's organic food that doesn't destroy. And we're already seeing the neighbors looking and seeing, oh, maybe this could be for me too. They're making a living. They're making a decent living out of planting their forest and not cutting the trees. So it's already creating a ripple effect. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. It is still an amazing world, and on this podcast, we'll introduce you to the people who are making it that way. We're here to shine a light on ingenious solutions and give you insights that you need to find and cultivate what you are uniquely built to contribute. And here's the thing, the people that we talk to on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, well, they're solving some of the world's biggest problems and they still think the future is bright. So we need to know what they know. We need to know how they've learned to get around obstacles and make progress every single day. And today we're gonna meet a thought leader that I am so excited to talk about. Today we're gonna meet Maria Jose Iturralde. Chochi, as she's called, is the co-founder of Humans for Abundance. It's an organization in in Ecuador that's found their role in mitigating climate change through advancing biodiversity in a mind-blowingly cool way. They've created a model for bringing people together that connects what they call rainforest restorers with co-restorers across the globe. It's a fascinating concept, a model that I'm pretty sure could be portable around the world for handling all kinds of problems. And we're going to have Chuchi help us understand that portability and the expansion possibilities of this concept. But first, she's going to dive in and help us with something that I really, really want us to understand, which is the full possibility in this concept of emergence. So welcome, Chuchi. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for having me here. Um, yeah, this is really, really exciting for me to be talking to you today and to be telling you about my story and uh, the story of humans for abundance. So, well, uh, I, 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 when I heard about your your concept and how you were applying it and the expansion possibilities into so many other worlds and and even where you've chosen to start because of your own story. Um, I, I just, I just knew that it was something expansive for us all to know is possible where we are, wherever we are. Yeah, that's true. This is what happened to me though. I was having a, a regular job in my city, trying to be a nice person and then seeing all this destruction and climate change in the news. And then I go a lot to, to the Amazon rainforest. My country is really small and it's really easy to go to the rainforest. So I was seeing as I grew up, right, all this destruction and all the poverty related issues with the deforestation in the Amazon. So, and I started thinking about like, who's going to, who's going to change climate change, right? Who's going to solve climate change? Who's going to stop all this? Is it going to be my government? Is it going to be 
I don't know, a big company in the U.S. or in Europe? Is it going to be one person, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> I don't know who. And then I realized, like, there's no one person or one company or one government who's going to do this. It's going to have to be all of us changing a system, right? Moving in a different direction than we're moving. And it's had to be all of us, or at least, you know, a good majority of us. So, so then I started seeing the causes, like why... Why is it that deforestation is happening here in the Amazon, for example? Like, and I started seeing it's, it's also regular people, right? Regular moms and dads trying to feed their kids. And that's why they cut the trees. They need to sell that wood to make a living and plant a monocrop. So it's not bad people who are cutting the rainforest and destroying biodiversity. It's just regular people like you and I trying to make a living. And the demand for our demands as city dwellers for, for that wood, for that oil, for that fruit, for that coffee, for that gasoline, for that shampoo, everything that comes out from the rainforest, right? Our demand is driving that deforestation. So what can we do about it? So that's when I started observing nature and this concept of emergency you asked me before, right? Like the ants do, they get together and they act in a collective way to build something. And we do act in a synchronized way as we're speaking, right? But we're, we're synchronized for extraction, for the extraction of resources. Everything is synchronized for the extraction of resources. It works wonderfully, right? You go to the store, you pay easily with your card, you extract whatever it is, your phone, your clothes, whatever. It is so easy. It's so set up for the extraction of resources. So we need a system that can counteract that system, right? That if we're extracting resources, then we need a system that can put the resources back. So, and it's our responsibility if we're taking those resources out, then we need to put them back in somehow. But there's no such system, right? How do you put things back into, you have to donate to an NGO that you might not know what they're doing or like who you're donating to. Is it, and it, it's not a big system. It's not like an emergence concept or effect, right? It's like one single maybe NGO in Africa or in another but it's not, it's not a system. So this is when I started thinking like, oh, maybe we can create a system for people to, to put those resources back. So as they take resources from nature, because it's impossible not to take them, you need the clothes, you need the food, you need the resources. But with the same velocity or the same speed that we take them out, we need to put them back. So create such a system where where things can happen, easily happen, right? When it's as easy to go buy a phone to as easy to go plant a tree. And, and not, not just a tree, but like to restore soil or to decontaminate water or to protect the birds, if that's what you like, or dolphins or uh, things like that. So it's just this concept of creating a system that allows humans to simulate emergence or this collective movement towards restoration and conservation. Oh, it is just that. It's everything you said. I, I'm going to go back and re-listen to this episode and, and plant many of the seeds of the, of the concepts you just mm -hmm. mentioned. So part of your aha moment, your, your insights that could change the future for us all is your story. It's a story full of mm -hmm. serendipity and legacy of your, your, your folks and your grandparents and stuff. And I think your story can connect to all of our stories in some way. So please share how we got here together mm -hmm. today, sitting here. Sure. So I'm an educator. So I'm that kind of person who's an idealist, right? And I wanted to change the world through education, you know, teaching ch children how to how to change things and become a better generation. So I was doing that in my life and I was taking a group of students to the Amazon 
to do. Oh, before I tell you that, I come from a family that also, you know, full of people who want to do good, right? So, for example, my grandfather was the president of Ecuador, and he was such a person. He wanted to do great things and change things, and I think he did. You know, he was really working hard to get Ecuador to a better place. So I grew up in this family of people of. Who wanted to do good? Who wanted to change whatever they could change to a more positive state, right? Leave leave the place a better place. So I grew up in this family, and 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 just doing my regular job, I went to the Amazon with a group of students, and we were doing a toxic tour at school. So you can come to Ecuador, and this is something everybody should do, <laughs> and you can get together with locals who take you around the oil wells. And some pretty horrible stuff that comes from oil extraction. So, if you don't know, Ecuador's main source of income is oil. We export oil to the world. So, this is how we Ecuador has, you know, builds their roads and pays their people. It's because of the gasoline that people use <laughs> in other parts of the world. But it, sadly, the extraction of oil is not very eco-friendly. It's not very environmentally friendly, especially in countries like this, who, which is very disorganized. Countries do not put really strong laws. If there's money involved, things get really. So I went. I took the students to see this, and we were in this toxic tour. And this is the first time I I did this. So we were next to a river, putting our hands in the river and extracting, you know, a glove full of dark oil, dark petroleum, and seeing. How the community, the indigenous community, is right there, right, right next to this river where we were putting our hands in. And the reason was because the oil companies just come take out a sample and make like a pool of this oil and see if it's good for for piping in towards the refinery. If it's not good, they should put back the oil into the ground, the the not extracted. The oil that can't be piped, they should put it ground, but they don't. They just leave it open as a pool. So when the rains, the pool floods, and the petroleum just goes up and floods and goes into the streams and rivers. And the rivers end up in the ocean. <laughs> so this is everybody's planet, everybody's ocean. So I started just to being really shocked about this. I, I've never seen this. You know, I drive my car in Quito, but I never seen how the extraction of the gasoline or that would come to my car. So my impact, it was doing such a harm in the Amazon, right? So, so the guide who was doing this this toxic tour, he was naming people responsible, certain companies responsible for this contamination, right? And they were not doing anything about it. So the people there were suing the company to put this oil back because it's contaminating, right? Um, and then I learned that in 1995, in the the time that my grandfather was president. There was a release of this company, so the the company was forgiven, saying that they had already done all the work, all the. So basically, I learned in that trip that my grandfather and his team, right, had been convinced that the company had already restored what they needed to restore, that everything was fine, and that they were released from all responsibility. So here we are, 30 years later. I'm standing in front of these pools, which have not been taken care of, and there's like. 800 of them around the Amazon and right next to communities, and here I am seeing. Wait, this has not been restored, right? My my grandfather has a big responsibility producing this this <laughs> right this contamination that wasn't taken care. Of. So that's when my whole life changed, right? I saw 
It was like as uh, the sky opened and my grandfather was saying to me, you need to do something about it because I couldn't do it, right? I, so you, the new generations need to take care of it. So that's when I decided to stop teaching in private schools and keep the right and change my life and said, I need to do something bigger, something that helps this vulnerable community, something that helps the environment that I love so much. So I started thinking, what is it that we could do in observing? So that's my how I started Humans for Abundance because of this personal story that hit me so hard. And I can't, I can't go back to doing anything else right now besides, you know, environmental work in whatever shape or form it is. But because I've seen now my connection, my personal connection with what's happening in, in vulnerable ecosystems like the Amazon rainforest. And I can, again, I can see how people, my friends and other people in cities and friends that live in New York and friends that live in Europe, the connections that they have with the rainforest as well. Because if I have that connection, if I'm using gas, if I'm using shampoo and bananas, and coffee, that means I am extracting resources from the rainforest. So I have to do something about it now that I've seen what is happening in the rainforest. So yeah, that's what I learned. And then I learned that the governments, including you know my grandfather's time and other governments, saw the rainforest 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when we started kind of colonizing the rainforest, the Westerners started colonizing the rainforest because there was already people there, right? They started saying, cut the trees, turn that land into productive land. So they didn't see the forest as productive because they couldn't sell, you know, the, the roots and the seeds and whatever it grows there and the flowers and the animals. They couldn't sell them to the north, right? To the west. So they needed to cut, it the, tree, cut the trees and put some cows so they can produce milk and cheese, and maybe put some coffee plantations, maybe put some plantain plantations. So they were encouraged by the government to actually cut the trees. And I tell you a story. If you right now, today, come to Ecuador and you want to buy land in the Amazon rainforest anywhere, the landowner would say, this land is worth more because it doesn't have the trees anymore. And I did that work for you. You know, it's ready to be productive. It's ready to, for you to plant. So it's worth more. If you want to buy the forest, it costs less. So people don't even have the notion that the forest and the biodiversity that the forest holds, it's so much more valuable than whatever you could do with that land. Because if you use toxic agriculture or traditional agriculture, the soil will damage, you know, in a few generations. The water cycles will be damaged. So the, the rain will be in a less pattern way. I don't know how to say that anyway. So, so you couldn't do anything with that land. You, and that's what's happening. That's what we were starting observing in these communities, right? They can't plant, they can't plant, they can't plant. Every generation uh, yields less and less and less food and they have to buy food from other sources. So they cut the last trees that they have to buy food because their land is not producing enough for them to survive. So they move once the plot of land is good for nothing, no trees, just grass for nothing grows there. Then they move to the next plot of forest to cut. And then it's good for a few years. And then they move to the next plot of forest to cut. And that's what's happening in all of the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador. Even indigenous communities who knew how to take care of the rainforest for millennia, right? They're cutting the trees, even the sacred trees to make a living, to send their kids to school. So, so this is what's happening. And this is my story. This is my, what I observed by being an educator and going there and, and connecting my actions to what was happening there. And then you did something about it. <laughs> this is such an important part of your story is that I'm sure you said to yourself, 
hundreds of times. Someone has got to do something about this. Someone has, that's what we're all doing when we're wringing our hands about countless things that we see are not right with the world that have a positive potential to change. If only someone would do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. So we are going to dive deep into every bit of the story and the and the possibilities and, and understand deeper many of the things that Chochi just said. But before we go any further, I want you to describe then your idea, your big idea on how we can how we can create this marvelous three tiered win in the world. Sure. So I have a I have a story about that too. So I started thinking about what what is it that we could do, and then you know thinking about like, well, should I move to the Amazon and start buying land to restore? Right? Like this is what people want to do. Like, should you move to the Amazon and start restoring? But you don't know anything about native trees there. You you don't you might be afraid of the <laughs> the life that you might find there. So I was driving one day and I saw one of those you know delivery companies that they say like, are you hungry? We'll bring you this hamburger. And that's what the idea sparked and say like, wait, if the city dweller cannot do it and is not going to move to the Amazon because they have a job in France, you know, they have three kids in school and they're frustrated because the Amazon is getting destroyed, but they're not going to move their whole life. But maybe someone can do it for them, right? Someone in the Amazon, someone who has their own land there, someone who knows about the native species and who knows about the weather and everything there. So they can form this partnership and and do it together, basically. So one has the resources from their jobs they can share with the locals and the locals have their own, the other resources, which is the knowledge and the hands and the time and the land to do it, right? So they put together those two resources and they create the triple impact, right? So it creates an immediate environmental impact because with those resources, the locals can immediately change the land management techniques, right? They can immediately start planting the trees that they've taken back because of the economic reasons that I've mentioned before. They can immediately start restoring soil. They can immediately start taking care of the old growth trees that they, they still have because they're making a living from that. And so that's the environmental impact, right? And then the people, the local restorers can immediately benefit from, you know, a little extra income or a little income that doesn't come from cutting the trees, but comes from taking care of those trees. And so that's the socioeconomic impact, right? They have more access to education. They have more access to knowledge and to maybe, you know, taking a course or to uh, maybe learning about whatever it is that they need to learn because they have more economic, a better economic situation that allows them for that access. And they have better chance to, to buy medicine or to buy, you know, complement their food. So nutrition goes up, health goes up, and the, and the environment goes up. So it's this triple impact, which can be caused immediately, right? Okay, so make sure I understand this with the level of clarity I need to. What you've created is a place on the internet where people like me who have a heart for the rainforest can go and we can effectively book somebody to provide the service of doing my part to restore the rainforest or to nurture it and to make it flourish. So I can't be there myself, as you just described in your own story. Neither can most of the people on the planet. But we can turn our using of bananas and oil and all the things into a restorative cycle by booking someone on your website to serve as our gardener (laughs) of a certain patch of the rainforest. Is it that simple? 
It's that simple. So the restorers on the ground are independent freelancers, if you want to call them, or independent entrepreneurs who have put their lands and their actions there as a service that you can book, right? If you hire them or, or, or book them, as you said, as easily done in the internet, right, with one click, then they can do those actions immediately, which might be planting trees or taking care of a tree or restoring soil or creating a banana circle, which cleans the water in, in their bathrooms. Any kind of action that results in the restoration and the conservation of nature. That's their service. It's like a gardener, as you said. So in this case, you're not paying or a gardener in your house, the, the, the house is the planet, let's say. It's a bigger planet, right? So it's not just your house in Vermont. It's it's our planet that we all need to take care of. We all need to hire the gardeners and, you know, the termites, whatever it is that we need to hire to give back the resources that we actually take. So as I said, it's not a donation, right? It's a payment for a service that you need to be doing to the planet, right? So they can do it for you because they have the knowledge, the ancestral knowledge, the time, the land, and those resources. And then you'll receive a report. So you don't receive anything physical. It's like a, a marketplace, right? But you don't receive anything physical. You receive just a report with the photos of the trees you're taking care of. You receive it with the stories of the people that you're partnering with, the families that uh, you're having an impact with, and maybe the animals that start uh, showing up in their lands because the biodiversity is coming back. So yeah, as simple as that, right? It's creating the sense of emergence where we we kind of move towards the same side together and create this this effect together. So that's what we're trying to allow in this in this website. So you can browse according to who you want to partner with. If like if you're a, a fan of the Amazon or a fan of one of women who are leaders, then you can partner with women. If you're a fan of you know conserving big batches of forests, then you can partner. Uh, to conserve big batches of forest, whatever, whatever your heart, <laughs> because people love different things, right? Like I love, I love trees. I want to plant trees, but some other people might want to protect or buy my love jaguars or, or woolly monkeys or eagles or birds. You know, there's some mean to be, so whatever, whatever it is that you like, you can restore if that's your, your, as easy as that. So it's creating this bridge, this platform where people can meet and find each other without caring if you speak the same language, without caring if you're the same culture or if you don't understand this culture because we act as a translator, <laughs> translators in the middle. So that, that's the idea, yeah. Okay, so this is such a mind-blowing concept when you think about how it might be applied to things way beyond, or way not beyond, but in extension of the rainforest. It can be applied to saving areas that are hu huge carbon sequestering zones in the Andes. It could be any place in the world with mangroves or tundra that needs to be preserved or whatever. Oh, this is so great. Okay. But the number one thing that anybody who's got a little bit of a cynic in them is going to be thinking is, how do I know if my money is going to really be translated into action and, and, and have as big an impact as it could? Who do we trust in this world, Chochi? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good it's, question. Well, you have a big role. You are the third part of this triangle, right? There's me or ordinary people like me. There's the person who who's on the ground who can affect actually physically with their hands do the change. And then there's you. So tell us about your role. Yeah. So, so the first idea that came to mind is to create this bridge, these two worlds to connect, right? The bridge, as I said before, easy exchange of resources, right? But then we become, we offer a service as well as a third 
piece of the puzzle, as you said. So we are in the perfect precision right now because we are here in Latin America and South America, right? In Ecuador specifically. We are in the perfect precision to actually visit the projects of the core stores and give them a hand, right? See if they're doing what they're promising, the actions that they're promising to the core store, right? Take a little scientific data from the soil, from their water, take pictures of their forest, see if the biodiversity is So we can actually go see it. And we also do some follow-up because uh, some communities need some guidance and, you know, some extra information about more modern things like capitalism. So indigenous people in the rainforest, capitalism is new for them. So they, they've been ripped off so often because some coffee company comes and says, oh, I'll pay you $200 for, you know, your 20 hectares of land. You'll be fine. And they don't know about it. So they say, okay, yes, come take it. So we bring additional education or complementary education because they know so much from their ancestors and from the way they live their lives in the forest. They know about, as I said, the species and how to take species, their seed, like they know so many things. And we, we want to bring those out, but also we bring complementary education like entrepreneurship or accounting or permaculture or, or modern techniques for making fertilizers, technical things that they might not know that they didn't used to <laughs> before. So that's our third, the third piece of the puzzle. And that's how our service as, as this platform is the follow-up, the education, the complementary education and the verification. So the core store in France or wherever it is in the world can rest assured that whatever the, the restorer is promising, it's actually taking place and it's actually happening. So we do that work for you. Instead of you having to come to Ecuador to see it, we do it for you. We take pictures and we send that report back to you. So it's all, again, this collaborative way or this collaborative system where everybody does their part. And and I want to mention this because it kind of goes in a different route than the world has taken. So the world has taken a route for selling ecosystem services, right? So the world sells and trades carbon credits, for example, or biodiversity credits. So they take nature, they put it into a little box, they put it like a price for a ton of carbon, and that's what they sell to companies. And that's how companies offset, or that's how you and I can offset our carbon footprint, is by buying certain units of carbon. But I'll tell you the, the problem, local restorers here in Ecuador, for example, will never, ever put their lands up for carbon credits trading because first, it's really expensive to get accredited for carbon credits. So if, if I have 20 hectares of land in the Amazon rainforest and I want to get a, accredited for, for selling my carbon credits, it's like $5,000 to just get accredited, right? And it's, it's good for one year. Right. So if I'm a local farmer who doesn't, you know, lives with under two dollars a day for because the problem with poverty and how it is related to environmental destruction is it's right there. <laughs> so they will never set up for these kinds of systems of selling. Uh, plus, in Ecuador, it is forbidden. We cannot sell nature services to other people. So we turned it around and say, OK, but we, what we can sell is human actions that are repeatable and that are infinite and that are it could be creative. So any restorer with a with an idea that results in the restoration and conservation of nature can sign up as easily as they sign up for Airbnb, right? I have a room, I sign up for Airbnb, I rent it out, I have a little decent extra living. Here is the same. I have a little piece of piece of land. I can sign up with Humans for Abundance and start selling my eco actions. So we call them eco actions. 
So I can sell my actions who are repeat that are repeatable are, you know, I can do them many times to someone who needs that service to produce that triple impact that we were uh, discussing before. So that's, that's kind of... <laughs> I think when you put it down to the metaphor of Airbnb like that, it really makes me feel like anything's possible. <laughs> now because this is just this is such a, a leap in the way we think about who's going to look at your model who has an interest or a passion for the arctic tundra that's under pressure or whatever this this is a door this is kicking the door down on possibility so we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about this fascinating model so portable dr linda here If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight and innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded the Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Hello, so we're back. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of The Goodness Exchange, and we are here on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast talking to Maria Jose Itoralde, better known as Chochi. And Chochi has an idea for the world, for the future, that I am absolutely delighted to lift up and shine a light on. And I hope you'll help me share this concept around the world as well. So Chochi is the co-founder of Humans for Abundance. It's an organization in Ecuador that's come upon a a model of allowing people like you and I around the world to become co-restorers of the rainforest with people who actually live there. And we're going to go on with this conversation. And Chochi, just uh, give us a little little synopsis of what that means, the restorers and the co-restorers concept. Right. So... There are people in the Amazon who live there, who have the resources and the knowledge about their ecosystem, who have land and own lands. They want to restore it, but they don't have the resources, the economic resources to restore it. And there are people on the other side of the world who may might live in the city who want to restore nature and who know the importance of biodiversity and who want to tackle climate change in any way possible and who have the resources, right? The economic resources that they can share instead of, you know, buying an extra piece of clothes or, or a hamburger. <laughs> you can share those resources with the locals to produce this, this impact, environmental impact 
So the core stores are people who live in the cities who can't, don't have access to important ecosystems like the Amazon, but who want to restore. And the restorers, the local restorers are people who actually live there and have the knowledge, the necessary knowledge and the time to do it. So that the idea of putting restorers and core stores together to work together. And so there's the role for Humans for Abundance is creating this wonderful online platform where we can all find our role in making the world a better place. It's, it's just marvelous. Okay, so let's get down to some nitty gritty things that I found interesting and sort of shifted my perspective a bit in a good way as we talked about all the other possibilities here. One of the things that I think that is very, very key here is this this way that it, this is not a donation to indigenous people. It's a way of giving back the resources that I took when I bought those bananas, when I filled up my car. It's really restore. It's creating a restorative cycle. Talk to us just a, a bit to refresh our memory from the earliest part of this conversation about that. And then we're going to talk about the role of government and all these other things that people might be waiting for. Right. So, yeah, this is what we're, we're trained to do, right, is to make a donation to an NGO because they're doing good things. But that kind of separates us from the responsibility, I think. I mean, we feel good with the donation. We're thinking, oh, you know, I release some of, of my anxiety because I'm I'm having a privileged life and they're, you know, I'm helping someone and that releases my anxiety. But this is not to release your anxiety about the things you're not doing with uh, to create social justice. This is your own responsibility. Like this is you have to understand your connection to the environment and to to ecosystems like the rainforest and how your direct impact on those ecosystems as you extract the wood, as you extract the medicine, as you extract the oil, as you extract all those resources that we take from these ecosystems, it's your responsibility to put them back. So it's not a donation because you're a good person, which, you know, you, you can also do. I'm not condemning that, but it's your responsibility to put those resources back because otherwise the math won't, you know, add up. You know, if you take, 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 you will just run out and you will run out of, of the things that you want in life, right? So, so it's a system to put it uh, and I think we're ready to hear these big words like responsibility. I think I don't think that's a, a downside <laughs> being told or being reminded that I have a responsibility to become part of a, a regenerative cycle. This is, I think, is freeing. And I, I want you to help us understand, too, that there's no heroes riding in on a white horse from government. Talk to, help me improve my way of thinking, because there's a lot of people who are operating with the illusion that, that government could somehow fix this. Yeah, <laughs> not, from, not from my experience, right? So from what I know uh, in countries like Latin and in Latin America, governments are really disorganized institutions. I know that in Europe, people trust their governments or in the North, in the, in North America. So people trust their governments to put taxes into good use and to actually do good things with those taxes. But in countries like Latin America, it, this organization rules. So everybody's pulling up to their own side. Nothing gets organized. Nothing get nothing gets done. And we feel like I, as a taxpayer myself, I feel that my money doesn't go to where it should go. So we don't trust governments, right? And we have bigger problems. So our governments are not going to solve climate change in Latin America. That, that that's the least of their priority. We have so many other things happening, you know, from 
extreme poverty to to economic problems as a country, right? We're and we're these are countries who are heavily based on the extraction of resources. So if see, if you see what lot countries in Latin America to make an, a living, it's usually extraction, it's agriculture and all like basic resources that the world uses. So again, the the world is expecting our governments to solve these problems, you know, deforestation and and all these problems that are related to poverty and to being a developing country. But they have other issues. They're not going to put those the money, the little money that we have into solving those issues. And as I said, the organizations are just so disorganized. They're so corrupt that we we would need to erase them and start from scratch if we wanted governments to be the solution. So that's why Humans for Abundance is sort of like, all right, let's find a way to 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 bypass that, right? To not do it through governments because they it's just not going to get done. Okay, so if we go, okay, that's off the table, that solution. It does really come down to every single one of us doing what we can do, right? And I, that's what I love about this. At the at the goodness exchange, we're trying to just elevate this notion that it is not, all hope is not lost, that it is still an amazing world. And there are millions of people doing ingenious things like you, but the knowledge about these projects is not rising to the top of the news or the internet. So we may never know that folks and ideas like you exist. So first, my thank you from the world. <laughs> For being the, for, for having the courage to just keep plowing forward, I think it points to how some people find their purpose too. Because Chochi, am I right in thinking that you can't go back? You're being pulled along with this, right? There's nothing pushing you. You're being pulled. Absolutely. No, it's a love, the love for the forest, for that rainforest that is actually pulling. As I said, that vision that you said, right, that optimistic vision that I have in my head, that's so clear to me, right? And it's a different story that we need to create in our heads, in a different system, just that. So sometimes I feel like we tell a, a super big story about climate change and biodiversity loss. And in our minds, that's like, I can't tackle this. This is too big. But the moment you reduce it to an action or a set of smaller actions that I can take that are super impactful and that I know that other people are taking those same amounts of actions, then the compounded effect and like collective effect produces the results that we need. So that's what I see in my head. It's just the collective, the addition of the little smaller actions. And that's what we do for extraction also. You know, it's not like a huge organization that extracts the resources. It's all of us taking little actions every day, every day, every day. So why can't we do that at the same? Like, oh, today I'm going to sit down at my computer and produce some sort of restoration or conservation today. And then tomorrow I come back again. And then tomorrow I came back again. Because every day I take out resources. So every day I should put them back. And it's just a smaller bits that I can handle in my head. And I say, okay, I can do this. And so can my neighbor and my other neighbor and everybody else. And like that, like the birds flying in unison and in synchronization, we synchronize our efforts to restore and conserve nature. So it's, it's not that one guy, one company, one person doing this huge, tackling this huge problem is millions of us taking millions of tiny actions put together that I think is going to actually change and create this new system, right? 
Oh, absolutely. Okay. So this is a very important moment in our conversation. You know, the reason why most of the thought leaders that I interview are hanging in there, (laughs) despite great odds and uh, paralyzing setbacks, the reason why they do that and they get up every morning, pop out of bed and keep at it is because they can envision a future that I can't yet. Talk to us about what could be like 10 years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 if your idea caught on, what what would the world look like? What would the what would start with on your on, on this scale of the rainforest, and then we'll talk about how this idea is transferable to other problems. So, in the little time that we've been alive as as humans for abundance, right, in working with indigenous communities, in a really really small scale, right, our system has changed this community around, as I said, right, with the follow up, with the complementary education. And with the money that's coming in from just regular people like you and me, just putting $5 or $8, that changed that community in a huge way. So they are already planting and reinserting certain species that were not there. We're already seeing biodiversity come back. We're already seeing the children falling in love, back in love with the forest and seeing all the possibilities. And we're already seeing them produce their own food instead of buying food from a truck. And there's organic food that doesn't destroy. And we're already seeing the neighbors looking and seeing, oh, maybe this could be for me too. They're making a living. They're making a decent living out of planting their forest and not cutting the trees. So it's already creating a, a ripple effect right? Now imagine this is only a a few clicks from people in the global north producing this outcome in the Amazon rainforest, immediate outcome. Imagine just multiply that by thousands or by hundreds of thousands and more communities saying, oh, maybe, maybe I can make a decent living out of restoring and protecting the rainforest. And then another community in the Andes and another community in the Galapagos Islands and another community in the mangrove forests in the coast and another community just adding like Airbnb, right? Again, like I'm, I'm just going to sign up for this. Maybe I make it decent living. So in my vision, I can see this expanding to any ecosystem in any country in the world, just like Airbnb, right? Like Airbnb right now is in everywhere in the world. You can go basically anywhere and find a room to stay with locals. So this is my vision, right? So maybe everyone, or not everyone, but maybe a lot of people can sign up their lands and put up their time and their knowledge to restore because they have the agency and the resources coming from the other side. And from a a comfortable side, a comfortable position, right? From the comfort of your home, you just connect with a local and give them the resources and create this collective effect that could be huge, millions, millions of people. Um, so the question is how many how many of us need to be doing this to be able to turn around climate change and biodiversity risk? So just how many? <laughs> well, it's going there. I see a rising tide of ordinary people like like me that, that have the resources. I see people that don't have a lot of resources that care about it. I, I just, all around me every day, I see people who have gotten through the pandemic um, have sort of a restored sense of agency. Like so many people have been beaten down, but maybe out of that, what humans are good at is bouncing back higher to a higher level of knowing what they can do. So talk to me about about how this would work work into also our ability to harness the, the great insight and power in indigenous people, because we can't talk around this whole subject without acknowledging that their voices have almost never been heard. Or, well, okay, there's w- lovely scientists and folks who have worked very hard 
to tap into the knowledge of, of generations of indigenous people. But I think you're, you're also pointing to something there as well, right? That's right. So as a social enterprise, Humans for Abundance has chosen to work with, with vulnerable communities who historically have been not heard, right? And who have been oppressed. Uh, so we want to, we want to, you know, focus on working with those people who who need a voice and who know so much and they've been quieted down and oppressed and you know made to believe that they're worthless because colonization in Latin America was terrible the indigenous people were considered less than less than human so psychologically that has created a limitation so they believe that they are not good enough that they can't do anything right that they can't because this has been centuries, <laughs> I think, of oppression of, of making them believe that. So it's it's really amazing to see the transformation when they learn, and this is what I'm so passionate about as an education, right? When they learn that they, what they were doing before, what their ancestors were doing, what they what they knew before, we came and told them our Western ways. It was the right thing to do. They took care of the Amazon for millennia. Their scientists are discovering that the Amazon rainforest was actually planted by humans. And it was, a, it was a garden that they took care of. Like they pruned the trees, they planted the fruit trees that they needed. They treated the soil. It's not like, a, you know, nature did its thing and humans had nothing to do about it. And it just with humans came, which began to stray. No, humans lived there and took care of it in the right way, in a permaculture way, so in a permanent way. And the transformation when they see that they can bring back all those things that they know and that they feel needed and they feel like if they're in the right place, it's amazing for me to see that the social transformation, the personal transformation, the, the healing from all that oppression that they experience. So that's why we choose to work with, with indigenous communities. First, because they have so much ancestral knowledge. And second, because they definitely need that opportunity to turn their psychology around, to heal and to give to the world what they know how to give. So yeah, this is, this is what I'm super passionate about, putting those, the people who want to do good with the people who need a voice and who need an opportunity and who can actually help us all survive. And that is the bottom line, isn't it? You know, there's this level of feeling good about your contribution to a better future. And in the bottom line, maybe we don't even have any choice. I mean, we have to thank people like you who come along with some novel way of reorganizing the way we think about things, and we can burst onto a new level of possibility. Jochi, I, I just can't thank you enough for sharing this idea. I hope anyone who is inspired by this concept connects with you and expands on it. Just in, maybe in some other new, new way, you will form partnerships and help us imagine this concept in other ways in the world and other problems. Tell us where people can connect with your work and then actually become co-restorers. Sure. They can go to www.humansforabundance.com and you go to where we say eco actions. If you want to partner with specific people and you want to know where your money is going to, like name and last name of who that money is going to, or you can sign up for a monthly subscription. Also, if you don't have like a preference or where that money goes to, you just want to do everything repeatedly every month. You want to sorry, take action repeatedly every month. So you sign up for a, for a monthly subscription and then we take that money and bring it to the communities or to the people who are needing that a little push or who are needing more support. 
So that's how you can find us in, in humansforabundance.com or social media, again, under Humans for Abundance. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and learn about what we're doing and who we're doing it with, all these wonderful people that we're doing it with. So Okay. Well, this is, you made my day. My face hurts a little bit from smiling too much. I hope that this interview has given you as much of a sense of possibility as it has me. We need to know the hard realities too. Those conversations are super important, but I think we ought, all ought to know people like Chochi who are making the world a better place and helping us find our role in it. So thank you. The Goodness Exchange is, is out there for you if you're one of those people who just needs to know that the world is still an amazing place. And it also has components there in that landscape where you can find your role in making the, better, the world a better place yourself. Thank you, Chochi. The show notes will contain a lot of goodies as well. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for the interview. Have a great day, everyone.